All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 228, and it's really great to be able to say that we have had more than 228 NWSL college draft picks in league history. So, of course, we want to give a shout out to the 228th all-time pick, and that would be none other than number four, Sam Staub from Clemson, who was picked by Washington Spirit. So congrats, Sam, and congrats to all the other picks. There have been 260 college draft picks uh, in the seven NWSL college drafts. All right, one long chat today uh, with my pal Dan LaLetta from Equalizer Soccer. Predominantly about the draft, uh, talked about a few other league issues too, but our, our focus was the good, the bad, and the what the uh, about the NWSL draft and everything that comes around it. Apologies for some crackling in the audio and many, many apologies for some of the audio issues with last week's interview with Monica Gonzalez. Um, suffice to say, I have new audio equipment coming Um And more importantly, we'll be moving the hosting of this podcast this week with this episode actually to the Beautiful Game Network where I should have much more support for the production of of, of the podcast. So I appreciate everyone who has put up with with some of the, the difficulties I've had over the years, but it looks like things are just getting bigger and better. So enjoy this long chat slash rant. It's, I guess that makes it a chant. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with the crankiest man in women's soccer. And of course that has to be Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer. Dan, you know, normally I would say, you know, thanks for being on, but there's got to be some different greeting for you. I don't think I'm the crankiest. Do you? Do you think I'm the crankiest? Well, it just sounds good for an intro. You know, you, you got to use hyperbole for an intro. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would what would your ist be? What would your est be for the whatever ist man in women's soccer? The longest tenured. Okay, fine. Okay, that's true. That, that that is true. We'll we'll give you that. Um, but of course, the reason I have you on today is because we had the draft last week. The draft for the seventh season, uh, pretty big event. Lots of good stuff. Lots of bad stuff. Some what the <laughs> stuff. Um, As always. So yeah. So so in the vein of the good, the bad, and the ugly, we're gonna do you know the good, the bad, and the what the we don't understand what happened kind of thing. So let's start with the good let's because do let's do it. Yeah, because you know that uh, you know I I have a lot of positive feelings uh, about the draft. Of course, I'm I'm pretty biased, um, but you know we we got to talk the whole picture. One, I have to put out there, I didn't realize this till after the draft. Um, I thought that all the the players that were there um, had flown themselves, had paid their own way to get there. So I was like, wow, this is amazing how many players we had. I found out later that the league had paid for a fair number of players to attend. So does that fall under the good or does that fall under the what the category? That, That... both, actually. It's great that they were there, and I think all but, well, Davidson wasn't there. Mace turned the league down, 
I guess because of the sky blue factor. She knew she'd be in that range. And then I think Dorian Bailey was the only other first-round pick that was not there. So that's that a good right. look. That's a good look. Yeah. And, you know, it's a it's a good look, too, that the reason your number one pick isn't there is because she's in camp with the national team and sent in the video. Though note that they didn't get the scarf over there to, to Europe. So maybe she really <laughs> didn't know until the end that they were going to, you know, I mean, it was, you know, and especially like, seriously, like the Red Stars and U.S. soccer's offices are like two blocks apart. It wouldn't have been that hard to be like, here, run this scarf over to uh, U.S. soccer and have somebody send it over to, um, but, but I don't understand why we didn't know farther in advance that there were going to be players. You know, one of the things that I've always wanted to do for Equalizer is to have one of the equalizer people find a drafty and spend the entire day with that drafty, maybe even from the night before, or maybe you join them at dinner the night before, join them at breakfast on the day of the draft, sit with them at the draft and kind of chronicle what it's like the night before a draft. Cause these are high level athletes that are used to having ultimate control over what happens to them when they're playing. And this is the ultimate, I don't have any control over what happens. And it's probably one of the more nerve-wracking things that you can go through in life. And, I mean, and look, I'm not suggesting that uh, that it's not my responsibility to do the legwork and it's something that just hasn't worked out in the past and it would take manpower on our part as well. But it would be a lot easier if I knew a week before that players X, Y, and Z were coming in for the draft. Because one thing you don't want to do is wind up sitting with someone that doesn't get called. And there were a couple of people who's whose names didn't get called. And I don't know that they were flown in by the league, but yeah, it's great. Bring in players. We're up to that. We should be doing that. But I'd like to know a little bit sooner. It's almost like we've got this in, but we're not going to tell you. So it's not as exciting as it could or should be. And that's pretty much, I think something similar to that's come up every time I've been on this podcast, hasn't it? (laughs) Well, that's why we have you on Dan, but I was thinking something very similar yesterday of, wouldn't it be neat if for our broadcast that they were kind of not for the live broadcast, but you had a camera with, you know, tracking a couple of, of draftees, potential draftees, because that could be a great lifetime feature later, especially when, when you think about some of the wonderful moments from last week of, uh, was it? Yeah. Jasmine Jackman's dad who just yelled, yes, when she got, um, selected and then started crying you know that yeah was, i actually that was, happened that was to awesome. have that i i don't really watch it because i'm yeah, i'm in the media row but i actually was in the back and did catch that moment when she got picked and good on you guys and whoever was producing that clearly there was knowledge not only of who was there but where they were sitting to get the cameras on them almost immediately yeah. as, the, as they were picked even the players that were a little bit downdraft you could also if you got if you knew who was coming in a little five minutes on camera the night before, and that can fill some time early on in the draft. If there's a timeout, Hey, we caught up with exactly. last night and then five minutes about what she thinks is coming up. And then that further engages people who were watching who might not even know who she was, but all of a sudden maybe you make that connection, you know, she's in the stands and maybe you suddenly want your team to pick her or whatnot. So. And then you've you got know. that video for you've got that video for other use. But let's go back. Let's go back to some good. I know there's there's some good in here. We can we can drag it out of you, Dan. Because uh, well, that I, was a good. It was a good that players yeah. were there. I just 
Wish it yeah. were executed better. <laughs> well, and I love that we had so many players there because it meant during the broadcast that anyone that was there, we could get, you know, a live chat with. And instead of doing them at the desk, like we did two years ago, we threw it down to Jordan Angeli on the draft floor. And it just, it had a much more natural feel to it. You're talking to the person right after they've been drafted, as opposed to two years ago, you know, they would have to go through all the, the media pieces and then, then eventually get to us. So it was like, you know, several picks later, they were talking to him. This was just, yeah, you, you know, Jordan, right, right Jordan, off the, yeah. Right off the Jordan's stage. Great at that too. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was even joking. She's like, I meant for the draft floor. <laughs> I, you know, I, and, agree. And, I agree. And I love that we had other guests to, to, to drop in. So, you know, we had Haley Carter, Sarah Gordon from Chicago Red Stars. You had Laura Georges from, and I can't remember the other woman's name, but she's also a former French player uh, from the French Federation. Her first name is Bridget, but I can't remember her last name either. I don't know if that helps. And they were having the greatest time because, you know, you don't have drafts in in Europe or in in a European sport. So they they thought this was wonderful. And the next day when I was trying to find them, at their booth in the expo, it turned out that they were over at the MLS draft watching that because they just thought it was yeah. they thought it was so fascinating. And my favorite also, one, my favorite part of being in in the draft room is the emotion that comes out from the players. And my favorite line was Haley Harbison got up in front of the room and said, "My public speaking class didn't pre- really prepare me for this." Moment. <laughs> that was that was sweet. That was really sweet. I also like that, uh, and this couldn't have, this wasn't planned by the league, but this worked out really well, that you had the convention, therefore the draft, in an end of your cell city for the first time. And we've been close in the past, you know, being in in Philly last year, it wasn't far for Sky Blue fans. Being in Baltimore three years ago wasn't that far for DC fans. But here you're actually in an end of your cell city. And that team has the number one pick, you know, and I made sure we gave props on the, the broadcast to, to local 134, but you know, they, they did such a great job with having a big group there and activities around going to the draft and making noise. And it was so nice too, that they were still there tor- towards the end and they had, you know, Chicago had some late picks and it just, it really kept the whole energy of the room up. Yeah, I agree. They were phenomenal. There was a um, few years ago in Baltimore, the Spirit Squadron had a smaller presence, which I thought was good. But the yeah, Chicago local 134 is a. I like a lot of the work they do. I like the fact that they were so open about their events. I think there was one the night before and one the morning of. And mm-hmm. They were. Yeah. They really did amp up the atmosphere, which is slowly becoming like kind of like a nightclub sort of atmosphere, right? Like it was. It was dark. It's too dark. It's too dark. dark. It's too dark in there. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, a spotlight went on, and I, I probably everybody thought this, but it looked like it was just looking right at me. So that didn't help matters. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we're slowly moving into like a nightclub style draft. Maybe it'll be like a Saturday night at 11 p.m. event soon. You know, <laughs> really turn into a into a whole nightclub thing with the DJ and and all that stuff. Um, Absolutely. You know, I love, of course, that that they had beanies and scarves, but uh, you know, NWSL branded, and the scarf was specific to the draft with Chicago colors. But of course, that was something that was seemed to be freebies for media, maybe players, and didn't really get out there 
beyond that. Um, and you know, the thing that I like to complain about most is merch. So that that kind of falls into the bad category, but let's stick with let's let's stick with some 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 other good stuff before we we jump wholeheartedly into the into the bad. Um, you know, I'm I'm hearing that the the viewing numbers are really good. I saw that we were trending on Twitter uh, nationally, not just you know not just a, not just a little bit. Um, you know, like I I I love that it. Um, it's finally becoming the event that it, it, it deserved to be as it's like, here's the big kickoff for the season, you know, let's, let's put all these resources into it. And, and, and as someone who sees the behind the scenes on the, on the broadcast side, I mean, because, Hey, I, I, you know, did the first broadcast four years ago, audio only with Hal Kaiser sitting next to me just speaking into my laptop using, you know, Mixler online. Um, they did the first video broadcast three years ago, me and Jonathan Yardley, and we had very few graphics, no film. <laughs> you know, we were on, on camera four hours straight with almost yeah, with, with literally no break. So it's, it's like, it's just gotten better and better each year. And this is the second year that the lifetime slash A&E crew has produced it. And having, the second crew for the first time, if that makes sense. Like this is the first time that the people who did it last year are the exact same people doing it this year. Having Always that. Helped. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're like, Always okay, we're going to add this. Or we're going to cut this. And you know, that people that are invested in, and it, our crew was a lot of the same people that do those game of the weeks every week. So these are people that are very up on the league. And I'm guessing it's a little harder than doing a game because in a game, especially soccer, um, not to say that it's straightforward, but you know what you're going to get, 45 minutes, halftime, 45 minutes with not too many things that are going to go completely different. But in the draft, you never know when there's going to be a trade. There can be long timeouts. The player could be there, not be there. So I'm thinking there's a lot more variables that's in play when you're broadcasting a draft than when you're broadcasting a game. And the other Definitely. thing is do a, draft, do a draft once a year and you do a game once a week. Yeah. So you get into a groove during the season where you're just, you know, every, everybody gets into a groove. They know what they're doing. This is kind of in the middle of the off season. And it's like, okay, wait, let's, you know, yeah, let's and the get one organized thing they did, again. The one thing they did, I think they did this last year that really um, was kind of a common sense thing, but they used to wait until the player spoke and then they would start the five minutes on the next pick. And now the way they do it is Amanda Duffy or whoever else announces the pick and says next team on the clock. And then the clock starts running and then the person goes up and speaks. And that, you know, you add that up over time that, you know, that takes, first of all, yeah. it's unfair to give teams more time just because somebody's giving a speech as opposed to if you're picking after somebody that isn't in the building, but, you know, that adds up a lot to a lot of time because as I'm sure you know from being on the broadcast, first round is great. When you get into the to the bottom rounds, it starts to get a little bit tedious. Well, and it, it was last year and possibly 2017 where, the, where they started doing it right. I know 2016 doing it with Yardley, a big reason that it took so long and we found out later is that they weren't starting the clock immediately. And yep. it's like when I heard that later, it's like, are you kidding me? 
you know, but it, it it's it's those kind of things where, hey, that's the first time that was being done, you know, live live video, and you know, you've got so many operational components, and and to me, that's another behind the scenes video I, I'd love to see is all the steps that happen between the team handing in that card and the player's name being announced. And I know this was one of the challenges for our broadcast is that between the card being handed in and the name can be 20 seconds sometimes. And sometimes it's two minutes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, You know, that, that you've got a war room in the back that, that they're doing all the double checking of this is the right team. You know, (laughs) we're announcing the right pick for the right team. And wasn't there, I think there was a, this there player is registered, all that stuff. Yeah, there was one long lead yeah. timeout. I don't know what was going on. I was kind of off doing something else. I think it was when Washington and Portland made their trade. Seemed like yeah, the lead I, timeout I, took, took a long I time, heard, which I'd I rather they than had, screw it up. Yeah, I heard they had to activate the long the, – the, well, it's just another five-minute timeout. They had to activate the league timeout because they weren't finished in their own time, and then they right. wrapped it up. Sooner, sooner than they thought. I don't know why they held the the, the timeout and kept kept going. Um, that was one of the few times on the broadcast where it felt like, wow, we actually have time to discuss a long topic. Uh, because better, better get it right, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, because having all all the players on the on the draft floor for Jordan to talk to, it meant that we didn't have to sit up there and, and, and BS about something that we can't always talk about. And I know that sounds weird for, for broadcaster to say, but when you've got 220 players and past the first round, it's really hard to tell who's going to be taken, you know, and, and a lot of these teams are really tight lipped with us. So we don't always, you know, know what they're going to do. It's, it is really hard to prepare. So, and, and I feel like if I'm a viewer, I'd much rather hear from the player then hear from us say for the fifteenth time. Well, it's going to be a tough transition to college, or something so you like had that. better access than we did to the coaches before the draft. And so, what surprised you? What was what was the pick that made you say, "Wow, I didn't expect that early pick"? Uh, Sam Staub. Okay, number four. Um, yeah. I I I kind of thought I, I figured she she'd get in the top ten. But I, I really didn't expect that she would go go that high. Now, of course, when we were making all of our, our draft calls, you know, the order was the draft order was one way, and by the time we got to last Thursday, it, there had been there had been a lot of movement. Right, you know, um, two trades, and then a third. Yeah. The day yeah. Now, do you guys talk to the coaches during the draft? No. On the broadcast, uh, well, that well, would be. Well, I'd like, I'd, I'd love to. Um, that I was, would be a good enhancement. I bet you a lot of them would sneak over and talk to Jordan too. If, yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm sure she was, I'm sure she was talking to them on on the floor, just just not on on the mic. I I really wish we could have gotten Vlaco. Um, it, it's funny, people are like, what's he doing? He's got no picks. Like, oh, he was trying to get picks. Oh, uh, he was. Uh, he, I saw him. I think in between the first and second rounds, he he really wanted to just draft. I mean, I was shocked he didn't get in, but he yeah. really, really yeah. in the draft. I do not expect that. I know they've already traded a pick, I think, for next year to Portland, but I do not expect him to ever sit out another draft. 
This was and, mostly not his doing. I know he just traded the number nine pick for Darian Jenkins a few weeks ago, but other than that, this was not his doing. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, not a Vladko kind of draft. And if Orlando had already named their coach, you know, if Mark Skinner had been able to be in attendance, I think it would have been great to have him on the desk considering that, you know, Orlando didn't pick until what, 25 overall. Uh, so, but, but they, they hadn't named him yet. And I don't think it would have been, you know, as interesting to bring over, uh, you know, their, their GM. Um, but that's one of the things I enjoyed in 2016 was that like Sermani came over to the, to the desk, but, but anyone that if, if they got a lot of picks or, you know, a lot of trade stuff, I know that they can't always really get away. Yeah, but I think that's going to be my push for next year is get coaches on. Interesting, too, Laura Harvey didn't pick till 23, and that is the lowest she's ever picked for her first pick. But seven drafts, one top five pick. Hasn't really built her team through the draft. But I don't know if you've got the same experience. Every year I talk to her before the draft, and every year she gives me this little bit of insight into the draft that turns out to be correct, whether it's about how, like, forwards are going to be you know, overvalued or a certain player everyone thinks will be top five is going to slip out of the first round. She's got this incredible insight into the draft. It's just that she doesn't actually use it for her own, uh, you know, for her own yeah. team most of the time. Yeah. But she, she's paying attention to it. Um, it, it she told us a great story um, about last year is that she had her, her eye on, on Katie Johnson. Was it? That'd no, 2017. She had her eye yeah. on, on, on Katie Johnson. And that Katie hadn't been rated very highly. Um, so she was thinking, sweet, I can pick her up in the third round. This is going to be great. She's just the kind of player that I want. And then she has an incredible college cup helping USC win the title. And, you know, so Laura's like, great. <laughs> now I'm going to have to trade up <laughs> to, to get yep. that player. <laughs> well, when she, you know. um, in 14, she picked Amanda Frisbee late in the first uh-huh. round. And Meg Linehan, who now works for NWSL Media at the time, was with us at Equalizer, had written a story about Frisbee. And Laura Harvey, using some words that I won't repeat on the podcast, after the pick, um, was jokingly not very pleased with Meg Linehan because she thought that the story might have priced her out of where Seattle was picking with that. You know, they, I think they, were, <laughs> they got her at, at seven or eight and she thought she might've uh, gone higher because of the story, which was pretty yeah. funny, but she did get her. And then obviously it's been a rough go for, for Frisbee, but yeah, always interesting. Same thing when Steph McCaffrey got called in, she was with the U23s. And she got that courtesy call into the full team after the 23 camp. And then she got picked fifth. And a lot of people were joking, like, well, she just moved up like five spots because she got called into the full national yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and that's, always, that's, always that's good the, stuff. The, the same thing. That's the same thing as, you know, Katie Johnson having that amazing college cup. Yep. You know, it's like, boom, you know, you're up there. And, and that's why I'm always intrigued by the picks that, you know, aren't on a team that made it deep into the tournament, um, aren't someone that, you know, have a call up and, 
and that's why I come back to Sam Staub where, I mean, she was on our list. I figured she'd be a top 10, but I was like four. Wow. That's cool. You know? And, and then you have the surprises the other way where it, it surprised me that Emily Ogle was on the board so long that Portland picked her up. Interesting. I don't know anything about her, so I don't, I don't have yeah. any yeah. insight. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the tw- one of the many Penn State 2016 uh, under women's under 20 women's World Cup players, um, you know. So and is Penn State a team that has? Are they one of the schools that has been in every draft? Oh, you're gonna make me look that up now. You told me this like 40 hours know. ago. <laughs> I know, because I. But my point to... is that they always seem to find their way in there, even if it's not a top top player. Yeah, because I'm thinking yeah. first round picks. Obviously, Rodriguez, Maya Hayes was a first round pick. Might be the only two first round picks from Penn State, but they always seem to find a way to get a player in the in there. Let's see, Stanford, so Virginia, you... and Stanford, Virginia, and Penn State. Yeah, there you go. Every you go. every streak. North Carolina still has most overall, but they did have a draft with no players selected. Speaking so. of North Carolina, I was just a little while ago. Um, going through some of the draft stream to do some research, and I stumbled on when Julia Ashley got picked. And I think it was the host said that Anton Dorans told you guys that she might be the fittest player he's ever had. If that's true, that's something. Well, it's, she uh, she could have been a Division One track athlete. That's that's fitness, at least in terms of running. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. I mean, cause seriously, like that is the old, like that, like he preaches fitness and has been around for 30, almost 40 years. So that would, that's quite a statement to make. So yeah. hopefully Julia Ashley plays in NWSL this year and we get to see that for ourselves. That would be really cool. Um, any last good things that you want to highlight? Um, from the draft or from the week in general? I mean, you know, I look, I think the draft, like you said, has become a really cool event. Um, you know, I, I wish that I wish the deadline to declare would be a lot earlier. Uh, I wish we would have known. Um, and this is, you know, selfishly for media purposes, but I wish we would have known which players would be there ahead of time, but, uh, it's a great event. And I feel like, uh, you know, for those who don't know, the coaches' convention is a huge, huge event. Insanely like, huge. Yeah, and the NWSL is a very small part of it, but I do feel like it has gotten a little bit more uh, of a footing within the scope of the coaches' convention every year. So that is a good thing. Yeah. And all the so teams let's... have official coaches now, so that's even better. <laughs> so let's let's move on to the bad and and this is where you really get to shine dan oh, I so, uh, though i though of course i will chime in too but uh what you got for the bad well obviously i mean all right let's 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 hold off on sky blue for a minute what is the what is the benefit you know on monday of this week um, all these underclassmen were declaring for the NFL draft. And so I went to look and that was actually the deadline for underclassmen to declare. Um, now, you know, no really good NFL player is going to say, well, I'm not going to play in the NFL. I'm going to go to Europe because it's just not the way football works. But the NFL draft is April 25th. 
Now, I get you can't do three months because the college season ends in December, but can you give me one logical reason, either something you think, something you know, about why the deadline is 4 p.m. the day before? And then at that, it took the league four hours to put out the final list. And I understand that it's not just easy, you know, it's not just a matter of writing down names and sending them out, but how about, hey, everyone, Tierna Davidson declared for our draft tomorrow. Red Stars have the number one pick. So what's the logic behind it? Give me some logic. Talk me off the stance. <laughs> I I kind of want to know that a little bit more, too, because obviously for our preparations for the broadcast, you know, it's it's hard to get thrown somebody last minute. We try to prepare for anybody, you know, high end that we think might declare. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of outliers. And last year... Last year, the deadline was even later. Um, we got the list maybe like 11 p.m., you know, the night before. There's no time to look at any of the new draftees. So there was one draftee last year where when the name was called, we're all looking at each other like, I don't remember that name at all because it was one of the right. last-minute players. Now, one of, one of the myths that I want to um, – or rather mis- misunderstandings that I want to um, – up is a lot of people felt that Tierna waited till the last minute and she didn't wait till Wednesday. She didn't wait till Tuesday. She actually declared earlier than that. But the, the well, process went, of we wasn't there a list because, came out on Tuesday that she wasn't on. And that was that was one of our kind of internal errors of which list was was being sent out. And there's also a delay between you declaring and you getting on that public list. So some of the lists that I was working on where, uh, you know, like every, every, once we got past the first year, every few days, I'd, I'd, they'd send me a new list and I'd pull the new players and then they'd get it out publicly. Um, but just like the war room where there's a verification process, there's a verification process on, on the, on the end of cell side before we release those names. So like, well, that makes it even we, more pressing to move the deadline. Up. Right. But so we had a list come out on January 4th and I know a player reached out to the league and saying, Hey, I declared last night. Why am I not on that list? Well, the list that came out on the fourth was something that was from like through the morning before, not through the night before because of all the verifications that they did. So it's right. that, I got you. A little bit of a delay. I don't, I don't know why, why I don't know why it's so late. Grabs either. Yeah. Well, I don't, hey, we, we 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 like the the league to do press releases. We do, but it's like a false press release because you're putting out these names and you know everybody's waiting for Davidson and you know Mace wasn't on the first couple of lists. And I don't know, it just I don't I I'd lo- yeah, I want more press releases but maybe not this. Like make the deadline Yeah. A week in advance, put out one big list, promote the heck out of it. Even for coaches, it's hard because, you know, you got Sky Blue traded the number three pick, which I guess happened that morning because, I mean, it was they didn't take a timeout on it. So they said Mace number two and there's a trade. But you couldn't have possibly gotten – you couldn't have possibly known the value of that pick before knowing whether Davidson would be off the board. Right, right. Yeah, there's so many moving parts to it. And I feel like we are, you know, getting better and better. But I feel like 
a big challenge this year was with the whole convention falling a week earlier, like it really squeezed that window of after the first of the year, the window for people to talk about trades complicated by the fact that we had three coaching positions that, you know, two of which were basically filled in the last week. Yeah. And I love that Laura Harvey joked. She's like, I, did my phone break? You don't know what yeah. was calling me. She told me that same thing, but that's on the clubs that they couldn't get coaches. Right. But I'm like, yeah, but what that does for that club, but that hinders all the other clubs in a way. No, um, that's true. And, but a, and you know, don't, don't forget the rosters expanded this year. So that made teams less, um, there was less urgency for teams that maybe were overstocked at a certain position to move somebody because you can add now to get to that 22 as opposed yeah. to like the courage or the, you know, with all their depth, um, you know, weren't, you know, they didn't say, Oh, Julie King's coming back. We have to trade a defender, you know, they right. can add to that list. So I think that partially held up the trade market also. Plus apparently the, you know, the teams don't find out the full competition rules for the season until they get to the convention which is also a little mind boggling, but yeah. I, yeah. I guess that goes more into the, what the, 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 the category, yeah. um, but with the, the roster expansion, I mean, I love that we in a way got to announce it on the draft, but I, you know, I, I think that could have been a great buildup earlier, you know, uh, of yeah, just like, Hey, the, you know, so this is, it's yeah. That, that, um, the players that are drafted have in a way a better shot of making these rosters compared to last year. And the news was out already. So it wasn't like they were, I mean, if you follow the league at all, you knew about it. Yeah. I was really thrilled to hear, and this should obviously go back in the, in the good, but um, I didn't expect that the supplemental player slots would earn league minimum too because historically when you have any kind of developmental supplemental spot it's you know it, it's it's in a different category yeah, it, it it's not it's not the minimum salary so that was really I'm great not, to hear when you i'm not when you think about though, wait 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 when you think about those players four years ago that would be in those roles that got paid nothing but i'm not but clear not, why not just make the roster limit 26 I mean, what's different about? I know they have to make the minimum, but you probably need that many players making the minimum anyway to be under the cap. So I'm just not necessarily clear on why it's not just 26. But I my, mean, it works. No, out my same. guess is, but see, my my guess is, is you're not required to carry any supplemental players. You're not required so, to take 22 either. There's a minimum of 20. Right, right, so. right, right. But the but the the minimum went up to 20 from the minimum was 18. Right, but it could be just twenty twenty six. I mean, it works out the same, and maybe there's something I'm not getting about why they're going to be listed separate from the other players. I don't know. There could there could be other other factors where I I was guessing that it means that um, they're probably they probably carry basic insurance on them, but not full insurance. That could be what another thing you know? is that it could be where if Team A wants a supplemental player from Team B and is willing to give that team a full contract, then right. they should be able to say that. And then team B has to either 
elevate that player to full contract status or let them go to team A. But again, if they're coming in and out of the team um, freely and they're getting the minimum and they're going to be getting the minimum on full contract, I would need, I need to know, I would need to know a little bit more about it. But overall, yeah, they should have done it last year when the breakers folded was the perfect opportunity to just say everybody gets two additional players. They kind of went halfway with the exemption for those particular players, but you had to actually have a former breaker player in order to go over the limit, which I thought they could have gone a little bit different direction with that, but they got there and I think, uh, it's good. I think they need to keep growing and we'll see what happens. Any other fun bads that you want to share? Well, do we, we, do we want to talk about Sky Blue, or do we want to – there's a lot of commentary out there about that already. Do we want, do we want a Sky uh, Blue segment? Uh, just, just, just not a segment so much as one or two salient points. Um, I mean, the salient points are that the story that was originally written was in July. The season ended September 8th. Um, and on January 10th, the general manager said, I promise we're going to have good news to share in the next 30 days. And he said he was confident that Mace and Ashley would play, even though Ashley, and I've never heard a player say on draft day that I'm exploring Europe and might not play in the league. Mace didn't show up, and we've already gotten very solid reporting that she's not going to play for Sky Blue. And then I actually re-listened to the Amanda Duffy press scrum, and she was asked about Sky Blue, about does it bother her that there are players that maybe don't want to play for a certain club? And it was a very much like a political debate answer. She said every player that comes into this league should be proud of it, and all the teams should strive to be better. And maybe Sky Blue is in the spotlight a little bit more than others last year, but every team is – you know, every team needs to be better. And then someone asked her, you know, are there certain minimum standards? And she said, yeah, we have those. So, so, we, know, so we don't get to know what they are. Exactly. And she, you know, I mean, and along the same line, she let out that maybe there are some requirements for interviewing minority coaching candidates, but wouldn't say what they were and said that no team was in violation of that ever, even though Washington basically – identified Richie Burke a long time ago. Apparently they gave Lisa Cole what was described to me uh, as a, quote, token interview. Um, but, uh, you know, what I don't get on the Sky Blue thing is the messaging. Because if there's really if there's really good news, then let's hear it. And if there's really not good news, then maybe they shouldn't be in the league anymore. And, I'm, you know, I haven't been on the got to fold them, blah, blah, blah. But if you're not keeping up and nobody wants to go there, and you can't defend what's happening, then then, I, then what's next? So we will see. I hope they do well. They're, my, you know, they're the closest team to me. Um, you know, I would love nothing more than to see them, see them thriving. Also, when they asked Tony Novo, can you name one thing that's already gotten better? And he said, well, your sack, Rutgers, where they play, just put in a brand new turf field, so the field's going to be upgraded. Well, guess what? The best part of your stack field for the whole time they've been there has been the pitch. So I'm glad it's better, <laughs> but that would have been like the last thing that anybody would have said needed upgrading. And and just just to be clear, they didn't put in new a new turf field. They put in new turf that is a grass field. Yes? I think it's a, that's a good question. I mean, it's been it's a grass field. It, yeah. You know, it was grass. I can't imagine they didn't put in grass, but 
Yeah. And and you can tell that no, just 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 the way you just the way you said it is is a little confusing. I'm just saying that if you said what is the best aspect of your stack field over the last six years and even into WPS, the obvious easy answer is that the pitch is actually a good place to play soccer on. That's not what needed upgrading. Right. Right. And that has nothing to do with Sky Blue. That was a Rutgers decision. Yeah, I was I was gonna say that's the school, that's not yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I hope that yeah. works out better than it seems like it's going to, but um I'm not overly confident at the moment. Well and and I I feel like compared to last year, I mean I was hearing rumblings about about Boston around draft day, like, you know, not not being able to continue. I'm not hearing those rumblings about Sky Blue. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't feel that we're in an equivalent situation. And I think some fans might think, oh, you know, next thing next no, thing happens, Sky Blue's not going to play. Keep this in mind. Boston was only allowed to make their draft picks. They were apparently involved in the trade negotiations with Kristen Press at some point. I don't know what, I don't know where they fit in, whether they were a third team and somebody else got came in, but they were basically told they weren't allowed to to make any trades. And they were literally falling apart as the draft was going on. That is not the case with Sky Blue. They traded Katie Johnson. They announced the Shea Groom for uh, Nahomi Kawasumi trade, um, I think, on Monday. So, no, what's going on with Sky Blue is not the equivalent of what's going on with Boston. The owners are invested financially. Whether or not they're invested enough to make it a, an experience worth having for players that have any sort of a choice, um, I'm not sure. And if we're going to talk all about Mace and Ashley don't want to go there, let's talk about Kawasumi said, I will play for Sky Blue. Let's talk about Estelle Johnson said goodbye to the Spirit and said, you know, I'm going, you know, next stop New Jersey, whatever she said. You know, let's not only focus on the players who aren't going. Let's realize that, yeah, there are actually right. – players, right? Like when the Washington Spirit were criticized for evidently, you know, trading off all of their gay players, and then they went and traded for Taylor Smith, who a few months earlier had put out one of the best, um, you know, out videos I've seen on YouTube, and nobody said, oh, well, they're, you know, this is different from sending them all out. We're bringing Taylor Smith in. So sometimes we like to dwell on the negative. And even me, who you think is the crankiest person uh, in, in women's soccer, and I would like. To let's be clear. Him. Let's be clear. He's just the longest tenured, which is why I like to say that you're the oldest, but you're not the oldest. Do we I'm know not this? The old, not even the oldest yeah. one on this phone call. Truth <laughs> <laughs> be told, but look, it's a big deal that Hallie Mace and Julia Ashley don't want to play for Sky Blue. But let's just not forget that Kawasumi and Johnson, who are both really good players, are going to play there. One yeah. other thing, I thought that when I heard about the trade which I heard about right before the draft started, they were going to trade the number three pick. My first thought was, all right, they know that Julia Ashley doesn't want to play there. So rather than take her, they're going to trade the pick. Now, I don't think they got enough value for the pick. I think Johnson's really good. Didasco is okay. Harajich is no better than a backup keeper. Great story, though. He's been at it for a long time. Finally got a, a full contract. And then all of a sudden, and a Washington cap. doesn't. And she got to play for Bosnia Herzegovina yes. last fall. Absolutely. Yeah. But then Washington doesn't take Ashley not once but twice, which one of them was your surprise, the Sam Staub pick. Then North Carolina doesn't take Ashley. Then here's Sky Blue with the six pick, and they take Ashley at six. Yeah. So I was... thought that was 
That was ironic. And probably because everyone was saying, oh, she didn't look as happy as the other players. And I mean, I don't like to, you know, start trying to read people's reactions, especially in a such a unique moment like that. But if she really did think, oh, Sky yeah. Blue traded the third pick, I'm free. And then she falls to six. That must have been tough if that's really what was going through her mind. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the what the category. And of course, we've already uh, discussed a, a few of these. But can can you think of any other like what the moments? Well, I mean, honestly, the Amanda Duffy press scrum with what I just mentioned about the sky blue standards, um, you know, again, expansion, she's eyeing, we're eyeing 2020, but we've been hearing that every year since the league started. And the two teams, well, I guess Utah technically is a new ownership group, but other than the sale to the to uh, Steve Malik, it's really been like last-minute teams forcing their way in, sort of, with Houston and Orlando and Utah um, didn't force their way in, but, you know, as evidenced by the fact they got that first overall pick, which was traded to Chicago, they were, they needed a little bit of cajoling or negotiating. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, we're now operating without a communications department at the league office for the time being. So that's going to make things kind of difficult. I'm still looking for this league to have some sort of a forward vision. I know I'm told that it's there, but nobody knows what it is. You know, why not, you know, if you had, you know, if the NFL had the Rooney rule, right, which is you have to hire, um, interview at least one minority candidate for your head coaching job and maybe down to the coordinators now. But if there were 32 white coaches in the league and the commissioner said, well, yeah, we've got rules in place. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but we've got rules in place to try to get minority candidates in. That wouldn't cut it. And uh, believe me, the last league I want to ever defend is the NFL. But they did set a trend on this, and it has worked to some degree for that league. And it would just be nice if we knew what these rules were in uh, for NWSL. Same as, you know, hearing about the roster sizes and, and, and all the other details, you know, the, the nitty-gritty. I You know, I don't know if it's a U.S. soccer thing or the owners telling Amanda, you know, I, I, I don't know why the attitude tends to be, you know, let's, let's not share info where I feel like there's, there is a rabid fan base, you know, that wants info and there's a potential fan base that might be more engaged with more info. Um, you don't have to share all the info or even the full info. You just have to, like you said, engage your fan base. And keep them talking. This roster size announcement, say, four days before Christmas, that could have carried NWSL in the news cycle among people who follow the league right in through the holidays. Yeah, totally. But it's just been such a dead, you know, it was such a dead off season for the league, as opposed to like the WNBA's off season, where I think the 15th was when we're talking is the actual day that you're allowed to start negotiating with free agents, then maybe you can sign them February 1st. So you have that dead period, but everybody knows it's a dead period. So you're not waiting for the stuff that's not happening. So that's a little bit better. Yeah. You know, and I thought there'd be more trades. I did. I thought more trade. And then as I, as the draft approached and I started 
speaking to coaches, um, there really wasn't. There wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot going on. But what are the minimum standards? Um, you know, I think that with the three coaching hires, because let's face it, Richie Burke and uh, look, these guys could all be great coaches. Richie Burke coached the kid of the new owner, who still hasn't been announced. James Clarkson, who I know you're very high on. I've been impressed speaking with him also, but on paper, he's not a guy that you would have said had the qualifications to be a head coach in the league. And uh, Mark Skinner obviously has coached women at a high level over in England. It's been a mixed bag with coaches coming over from Europe. But I don't think anybody who went to this convention wanting to know why the league and the clubs don't hire more women to coach their teams left with a better answer than they had going in. Okay, and I also wonder if this falls into the what the category or if it's bad and maybe it's more between um, the players that don't declare for the draft and, and, and go elsewhere. Now, there can always be personal reasons behind it. We always understand, I think, when someone who would occupy, occupy an international slot like Megan Connolly or, or Natalia Cuica from Florida State, you know, just won the NCAA champion, you know, Irish and Finnish respectively, you know, or Bunny Shaw, Jamaican. Uh, but like, I just saw the news that uh, Alana Cook from Stanford has signed with PSG, you know, and we kind of expected that she would declare and she didn't declare and, you know, you don't know why. And then you're like, oh, okay. You know, and it's, it's exciting to see that. And I don't think it's necessarily bad for the league if some of these players choose elsewhere. I, I don't think it's condemnation of the league, but, uh, you know, no, it I don't is. Either. And yeah. I'm also, I'm also of the belief that if you want Marta here and you want Jess Fishlock here, you've got to acknowledge that some top American players are going to play in those other leagues. I think that's, you know, we can't just think that everybody's just going to want to come here. Everybody's ace here. But what are your thoughts about the quiet rule they put in last year that, once the season ends, the draft picks, if they're not signed, the rights expire. So Casey Murphy, for example, uh, is not sky blue property anymore if she decides she wants to come back. Into I, the I, li- that, I was, like that. Was that the sky <laughs> blue rule, though? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but but I, I like that rule change because I, I think we're already hindered in the league that – even if um, your contract is up with your club, they still have your rights, you know, for, you know, for players in the league. So, so I, I, league, I think that kind of freedom is important. Major League Baseball had the reserve clause from the 1870s, and it didn't get overturned until the 1970s. And it included a Supreme Court case with Kurt Flood in the 60s that he wound up losing when he didn't want to accept the trade. But at least now in all the other sports, even MLS is getting there. You know, you, yeah, you maybe you get drafted, you have to go somewhere, but there's a mechanism in place where you can go somewhere else. And I think uh, we need that for for these players. And we need 10 to whatever it's going to be, 10 teams, 12 teams, however many we're going to get to, uh, that are desirable enough that players are going to want to go go play there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, in general, I love the, the expansion of the women's soccer landscape like this, that, that, 
players coming out of U.S. college programs have the option of, hey, can I make it into Musel or maybe I'm good enough to play with a, a European club? And, you know, and, and we have to acknowledge that the European landscape has all different levels. So, you know, obviously Cook signing with PSG, that's a huge contract, you know, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, compared to, uh, you know, if you're signing in, in, in Denmark or Norway or, or, or Iceland, for each player, you gotta, you gotta do what's right for you. I do. Yeah. I do think there's this notion like, Oh, they're going to Europe. They're going to make a lot of money. There's not a lot of money and there's more money for the top players. And there's a lot of different leagues you can go to, but there's, it's not like the, mid-table team in Denmark, as you said. is you know It's not like those players are making a lot of money. A couple um, quick things, though, about that. Number one, as far as the declaring goes, you still can't blame anyone if they graduate college, even if they can make it in the league, if they say, you know what, I don't want to fall behind on med school, law school, whatever else I'm going to do. I'm just not going to play pro soccer because there's not a lot of money in it. But I also think we need to acknowledge that the minimum salary is, I think, about double now from – what it was when the league started? More more than double. More than double. And and the max salary's gone up too, but the minimum salary's gone up by a higher uh, and the assistance than the max salary. And the assistance cap has doubled. So in terms of what they can provide in housing, relocation, car assistance, that kind of All stuff. All right, that's another what though that I can get to in a minute. But I just want to acknowledge you know, everyone's <laughs> got this idea in their head that oh, these players don't make enough money, dot dot dot. I don't, you know, I don't really like to engage in that because I think every industry has its pioneers and, you know, these are players that are not going to make a lot of money and hopefully they lay the groundwork for other people to make more money. But we do have to acknowledge that the league that started on a shoestring that was ready to fall apart, shoestring budget in 2013, I don't think they've done enough in general, but they really have boosted the minimum and maximum salaries up. And I think that should be acknowledged that it's it's up a significant amount. And retirements are down. And I think that's a big part of it. Yes. On yes. The and front, we, though. Go ahead. And we and we know we know what few retirements out there, like Christina Gibbons, we know that's not related to salary. Uh yeah, I mean look, I'm sure look, if she was making a quarter of a million dollars a year, may other factors be <laughs> you know, have been overlooked. Yeah, maybe. But I yeah, I'm yeah. under the impression that's not directly related to salary. But on the what the front, on this housing cap, how is mm-hmm. it not adjusted for cost of living? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. When you brought that up in, in Chicago, that, you know, I know that cost of living in, in Houston is significantly lower than most of the other cities, you know, that, that end of yourself plays in um you know it's got to be really tough in in jersey uh you know to make that money stretch or even you know portland seattle you know it's just if you want to live anywhere near the stadium and i'm sure a lot of those those players don't i mean i think i think that would that would make a lot of sense if you adjust it based on how far that that dollar could go yeah and it doesn't you know and i'm sure some teams are better at you know, manipulating the figures or coming up with solutions than others. It just doesn't seem right that New Jersey and Kansas City has the same exact housing cap. I'm actually surprised there even is a housing cap because, you know, why why shouldn't you be able to pay for your players to live uh, in nicer 
nicer place. Right, right. But you you don't want to create a a magic jack scenario where you have one player that says I'm putting every player up for free in a beachfront condo. Well, that's true. I what I did hear, well, at least what Tony Novo told us was that in a situation like where Carly Lloyd lives at home and doesn't take housing money, that that right. does not that does not cost the team according to Novo the housing money. So if there's you know, ten thousand dollars for ten players, and Carly Lloyd says no, thank you. Then that's ten thousand dollars for nine players. Obviously, those aren't the figures, but right, right, yeah, and and that's and that's great to hear, and and that's that's the other kind of tweaking that we don't hear about. Where depending on how many national teamers you have, U.S. and Canada on your on your your team, you know, how does that affect? your cap assistance and, and, and even your salary cap, you know, um, I, I think there's so many interesting analytical, uh, reports that could be done on the league. Like, uh, you've heard me complain about this is that any, anytime someone just shares the league minimum salary without putting it in context, I get frustrated because when you look at that salary, you're like, Oh my God, you know, 16, whatever, you know, but, it's only for what seven eight months. It doesn't include housing. I mean, you are your housing is taken care of. Your yep. insurance is taken care of. You get a um, food whenever you're with the team. All the kind of Absolutely. you know all, all all those all those things that that if you actually run those numbers and annualize that salary, it gets pretty close to forty thousand. And now forty thousand. The forty thousand isn't like oh my god, but it's it's like hey, if I'm twenty two, you know, and I have this opportunity, and that doesn't count the other work that we know a lot of the players can pick up. And this this right. is you know I think really really crucial is like if you can do private training on the side, you know that 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 can be some nice money. And I and I think okay. as long as young players have that opportunity to to do that and, you know, go to Australia, you can, you can survive in a way that you couldn't four years ago. And I want nothing more than for these players to make a lot of money so that this league and this sport can become a big deal. Right. I don't understand the uh, notion out there that the owner should be required to pay players to play from March through September or October and have them be able to do nothing from November to February and make a living on that. And, yeah. you know, again, if they can, that's fantastic. But it was like in the 1980s, there were Major League Baseball players working off-season jobs, and that was about when the salary boom kicked in, which is, again, after the reserve clause got taken off in the 1970s. That's a whole other argument and discussion. But, you know, give, what job can I get where I work March through October and then and get taken care of for the entire year financially, right? Because forty thousand yeah. over six months, seven months is a lot different than forty thousand over twelve months. I'm not saying it's easy to find other work. I'm not saying it's an easy way to live. I'm saying that I don't right. understand the idea that they are entitled to have uh, to get enough money to make a living twelve months a year. And if they are, then they should probably be in that market helping the team out. Well, that's why I I'd like to see, you know, if, if it's viable, you know, the, the league proceed towards that annual contract because, you know, when I think back to the WSA and that I was able to host uh, postseason preseason exhibitions in Houston featuring WSA clubs, the only reason 
we could do that is that the players were under contract to the team and paid for basically the entire year. So they were available. Yeah, they were available to do that. Um, After 9-11, New York Power and Washington Freedom played a charity match. Yeah. Two of them. You know, um, it it was funny looking back and seeing that when Sermani was hired by the New York Power for the third season, he was hired pretty quick after the end of the second season and even, you know, practice had had practiced with the players in fall 2002, way before, you know, the the 2003 season. So it's it's like, that's what I, I think that would be even more crucial where, Hey, they don't have to split the year between here and, and Australia. Yeah. I mean, the difference would be, yeah, like, you know, the loan deals, I think, would be harder if it was a full year contract. Right. I'm sure Australia right. would get off, from off the table with like a Lyon thing. But uh, Tiffany Milbert scored one of the great goals I've ever seen in those Unity games at the Meadowlands when um, the Freedom scored and somebody tapped her the restart at midfield and she booted it and Siri Mullinex was too far off her line and the <laughs> beater from midfield was absolutely fat. That was Tiff, that, that year. Tiffany Milbert could do no wrong. And that was, that she was, was the MVP. She was the MVP she, that year. She should have been. She had the, her hat trick game against Boston is one of the great individual performances I've seen in the women's game. All right. Well, I think we, we, we shared a decent amount of good, a lot of bad, a little bit of what the, but is there anything else you want to throw in before we wrap it up, Dan? Um, I don't think so. I'll probably think of it as soon as we finish. Uh, you know, the next step is the next step is to get the schedule and see what happens with with the sky blue draft picks. I assume there'll be some other trades coming up here and there. Um, and a big thing for the year is the A and E deal is expiring. Um, Amanda Duffy made it sound like being with A and E, you know, on the board that would not exclude them from going and signing a TV contract uh, with somebody else. So we'll see what happens with that. On the what the front, uh, they still don't want to give us any more details about the Yahoo streaming deal. That'll be announced when the national TV contract comes out. And again, you know, you could throw somebody an interview where somebody talks one time only about that. And then again, that, you know, then that, again, that kickstarts the news cycle. But, uh, you know, it's a long off season, but once the calendar turns, you get this convention and the draft and, and the national team plays this weekend. So things will start happening kind of quickly. Well, and of course, we didn't discuss Amanda being announced president, which doesn't really say anything to me at this point. So I'm just looking at at February of I want to see a schedule announcement, complete schedule announcement, that is um, announcement of location of the final and announcement of at least one expansion franchise for 2020. And she said soon when asked about the where, when we would know when the final would be. So that leads me to believe it'll still be at a predetermined site. So that would be good. I think having an expansion team out there, I mean, look, you know, the NHL has got an expansion team coming in, I think in the fall of 2021. And I already know the expansion draft rules. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's get things and going. We've done, we've done expansion twice. So we have a template yeah. for it. Absolutely, but, but it would be great. But if you it could it, get a it team sucks that both ex- yeah, it, it sucks that both expansion teams, you know, had short run-ups, and that I mean, you couldn't do a lot about planning for 
Kansas City becoming Utah and Western New York moving to, um, you know, North Carolina. But you can you can control expansion. Well, Dan, thank you so much for for taking the time out from I know, which is basically our lunch hour to uh, talk women's soccer. It's always appreciated. Okay. One last thing. Jim Gabara has coached every season in women's pro soccer. He won't coach this year. Wasn't the same without you at the convention, Jim. And, uh, you know, you can say what you want about his coaching, but really good, decent guy who always was there for the media when needed. And for someone to stick with women's soccer and not go elsewhere from the very beginning um, through some pretty tough, non-league and then WPS years, it's it's commendable. And did a lot right. to help the pipeline of female coaches. Yes, yes. He hired a lot, a lot of female coaches. All right. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to kick Dan off now because he's, he's shared a lot of good cranky, but a lot of good insights too. But of course we will, we'll have you back soon enough, Dan. Hope so. Thanks for having me today. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four, first and foremost, since I just got finished doing it. Um, the NWSL draft, if you didn't see it or you want to watch it again, it is posted on YouTube, the entire thing. Um, I thought it was much more exciting than previous drafts because we were able to interview so many more of the draftees right after they got drafted. Also had special guests like Laura Georges from the French Federation. Um, she's one of the people in charge of the Women's World Cup this summer. And Haley Carter and Sarah Gordon and Yale Averbush. So definitely worth checking out. And for those of you who, who watched, you know, I'd love to know what you think about what you like about the draft broadcast, what you don't like. Is there something you else you'd want to see? Um, definitely open to feedback. I can share it with the producers. Just send me an email, keeper at keepernotes.com. And speaking of KeeperNotes.com, my site's pretty simple right now, but it has lots of great women's soccer geek links, including a Google calendar featuring the entire Women's World Cup sched with kickoff times. All the games this summer will air live on one of the Fox channels in the USA, uh, as they'll also be on Telemundo. And Fox announced last week that a lot of Women's World Cup content will stream live on Twitter as well. Believe it or not, folks, we are less than five months away from opening day. But of course, before that tournament begins, the defending champs have 10 prep games to play. So we're looking at this Saturday on Fox Sports 1, the U.S. women taking on host France. There are 27 players in camp right now for the USA. I'm assuming for Saturday there will be a roster of 18, possibly 20, named by Jill Ellis. Alex Morgan is sitting on 98 international goals right now. She is so close to being the seventh U.S. Women's national team player to reach the milestone of 100 international goals. And then Tuesday, 1.30 on ESPN2, you have USA versus Spain, another friendly. Uh, if you want to check out the entire schedule uh, leading up to the Women's World Cup, just go to ussoccer.com. And last for the back four... Uh, the 2018 postseason edition of the Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac, including color photos, player registry, coach registry, all-time stat leaders, and much more, is available for purchase at keepernotes.com in PDF format. And there are 
earlier editions at discounted prices available for purchase too. And note that I'm on schedule to have a printed version available for purchase for the first time by the end of this month. And I am also working on a complete statistical guide to the Women's World Cup uh, that I want to have out by March. So stay tuned for more details on that. All right, that's it for this episode of The Mix Zone. want to give a shout out to everyone who listens, everybody who watched the draft broadcast last week, and also those people who actually attended the draft in person. And many, many thanks to the new host for my podcast, BGN, which is a beautiful game and network. Um, I will have a host page there. I will link it to the website and it might take a little while, but eventually all RSSS feeds um, should populate, you know, for iTunes, Stitcher, all that kind of stuff. So thanks again for listening. And of course, thanks to Sean for making this all happen. But now she's at